Have you ever noticed the world isn't quite what it presents itself to be? That something is just a little off kilter, just a little out of focus. Some of you may know me from my career in the distilled spirits industry as the alchemist of the Black Forest of Indiana. An industry, as I see it, more than just a little influenced by the occult and the work of opening doors and capturing essences. Here, you'll see another side of what I do and how I'm influenced by such experiences. Here, myself and occasionally friends will share first-hand accounts, stories shared with us, for tea and news, interviews, and a healthy dose of history and speculation. Settle in for the ride and enjoy. Perhaps that movement you saw out of the corner of your eye was more than just a shadow. Perhaps that weight on your shoulder, a bit more than fatigue. I've lived my whole life like this. Perceptive of those things that might be viewed by the less aware amongst us as simple circumstances, magic thinking, or even make-believe. Anticipating with the many ups and downs of my own perception, I have anxiously awaited the more positive of those experiences, dreading those of a darker caliber. I believe from societal observation in recent years that others are becoming acutely aware of the currently scientifically unmeasurable world that surrounds us. I believe that spiritual warfare is real. Join us as we take a hard left into the heath and the heather. Join us as we call out into the void, as the veil frays at the edges, and recall, if you have ghosts, you have everything. Hey guys, welcome back to If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything with your host, Alan Bishop, the alchemist of Indiana's Black Forest. So this weekend, we are, and this next week I should say, we're wrapping up season one of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything with not one, not two, but three episodes over a few days. So... Season one has been a blast. I've learned a lot about podcast production, audio production, how to upload a podcast, how to distribute a podcast. I've learned about how to narrate a story, how to better interview the people that I have on the show, and I have already started on season two. We will be back with season two sometime right after Thanksgiving, either that Saturday or that Sunday after Thanksgiving. And we're going to dive deep into, as I said at one point in time, some of the dark Christmas lore when we get into Season 2. We have a number of guests who have been in the Tiny Bedroom Studio that we've interviewed, including um, one named Stephanie Vines, who got into a lot of the railroad history and hauntings in Indiana. Uh, we also have my good friend Nate Cox, who I used to work with at Copper and Kings, who had some very interesting ghost stories and experiences in his life. We have my best friend DJ Henderson, who was just here yesterday evening re recording his episode. And we also have Daniel Main, who is one of the hosts alongside Washington County historian Jeremy Elliott of the Murder and Mayhem Tour, as well as an organizer for the Cemetery Walk in Salem, Indiana. Stick around for the end of this episode. There is a bonus piece of audio. I'm not going to lie. It's not the best piece of audio ever. It's a field recording, but it's a field recording of Daniel Main playing the character Delos Heffron, who you will be hearing a lot more about on this show in the future. You've already heard some about him from Jeremy Elliott in a previous episode. I cleaned it up the best that I could, and I thought it was interesting and contextual, so I left it in the show. This week, however, we have part two of our if you have ghosts, you have everything, and highly spirited podcast featuring Stephanie McNew, our crossover number two. So this episode features a few different recordings that I've done, some of them field recordings, some I think I might have done here in the tiny bedroom, and then also some of Stephanie McNew's material that she shared. Uh, she'll also be hosting the same podcast. I've had a blast working with McNew. She's an awesome person. She's a great storyteller. She's a great personality. And honestly, I just have a lot of fun setting music to her uh, to her talking, to her speaking, to her cadence. To me, that's, that's part of the fun of putting this podcast together. So guys, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Uh, the next episode that will drop will be Halloween evening. We actually have an episode all about Halloween that Kim and I did 
uh, that is a bonus episode, so it will be commercial free. It's there for your listening pleasure uh, on Hollow's Eve, if you would like. And then the day after that, on uh, Dia de los Muertos, we will be dropping the second part of our interview with Jack Begadu, uh, the Hood Sommelier. This time, I actually figured out how to work the audio correctly on Zoom, so the audio quality is much, much better than the original interview with Jack, and Jack and I go deep into his culture and his belief system. So stay tuned for those. Those are the last three episodes of season one. Thank you guys for your support. Please go to the Alchemist Cabinet uh, backslash uh, Warehouse One or The Warehouse One. Just go to thealchemistcabinet.com and find the store. You'll find all kinds of merchandise related to if you have ghosts, you have everything, including apparel, mugs, etc., hats, hoodies, all that fun stuff, plus all my distilling-related gear. And Kim and I are getting closer and closer to finishing our Oracle deck, somewhat like a tarot deck, but a very unique system of uh, an Oracle deck that has a couple of different uh, variables that can change the meanings of the cards entirely. So we'll hopefully have that up and ready to go in time for season two for you guys to purchase for the dark part of the year uh, when things get spookier and spookier and the light gets less and less. I love you all. Have a happy, safe Halloween, and we will talk to you next season. Hey, everybody. It's McNew again from the Highly Spirited Podcast, and I am back today with some cemetery tales. First up, I have the Daleville Witches Circle. Daleville is a little small town in Delaware County close to Muncie, Indiana. And you may not have heard of Daleville, but people are familiar with Muncie because of painter Bob Ross. We all love Bob Ross, right? And his happy little trees and Ball State University. I did not go to Ball State myself, but I did spend a lot of time on the BSU campus at parties while failing out of community college. <laughs> but that was over a decade ago. So I am pretty familiar with Muncie and I spent a lot of time there. Most of my free time was on that campus or at a friend's off campus apartment. And it was one of those nights before I could legally hit the bar scene. And I was with a group of friends. Also, we were still underage. Like we probably were 19 or 20, just hanging out at apartments, still partying, but you know, that gets boring after a while. So as we were bored, we were telling scary stories and someone mentions the Daleville Witches Circle. So we pile into a car and go. And let me tell you, this place is eerie. It's definitely in the middle of nowhere, down an unpaved road in a clearing in the trees. And it's, it just sits a very old cemetery all by itself. Some of the markings on the gravestones aren't even legible anymore because it's so old. And that didn't bother me because you know, old things get weathered, like that's kind of expected. But what did bother me was the silence. And if you spent any amount of time, even like a smidgen of a second outside in a secluded area, you expect to hear birds, crickets, maybe even frogs or locusts, something making noise. And maybe even other creatures like rustling around in the trees or the grass, like waiting for you to leave. But there was only silence here, dead silence. The only noise was us walking and us whispering and breathing. There was nothing making noise anywhere else in this little cemetery. It didn't feel like we were being watched either. Like sometimes like you know if there's a bird in a tree or an owl or a rabbit or something, like you'll sense a presence. Like there was absolutely nothing there except us and some headstones. And I just feel like if there's a place with no creatures, there's probably a reason why. So if animals don't go there, we probably shouldn't go there. <laughs> it was just eerie and the air felt heavy. And like, this was like a September, October, like late September, early October, where it finally stopped being humid in Indiana. So the air shouldn't have been heavy. Like it just felt like you walked in there and just couldn't breathe. There was a just a weird feeling in the air and we didn't stay long and we didn't see anything supernatural it just feels wrong there and i don't recommend visiting if you're sensitive to supernatural things it's not going to go well for you <laughs> the witch's circle is also known as sharp cemetery and it just gained the local name witch's circle because legend has it witches used to practice black magic here of course we know like not all witches are evil but in a small town like this, seeing a group of women in a cemetery doing any kind of ritual, the people are just going to assume it's satanic in nature. And I'm not even saying Satanists are bad because most of them are very nice people. It's just how small towns work here. 
Besides being known as the Witch's Circle, it's also said to be haunted by a lady in white and an old man who used to live on a nearby property. So it's definitely got its ghosts. I didn't see any, but there's definitely something happening there. If you're brave, go check it out. But I just didn't like the energy. It just felt very heavy, very wrong. Like, as soon as I stepped foot in there, I'm like, I should leave. We don't need to be here. Animals aren't here. Let's go. Like, we should all go. <laughs> very eerie experience. Um, the headstones are cool, though. Like I said, they're weathered. They're old. But I guess you can see that at any old cemetery. So check it out if you're in or near Muncie. It's Daleville. You just you can find it. It's not hard to find. Next up on the cemetery list, we are going to go to Terre Haute, Indiana. And this is a more endearing ghost story, and it takes place in Highland Lawn Cemetery. A man named John Heinel's final resting place is there in his family mausoleum. He passed away in 1920. During life, John had a beloved bulldog named Stiffy Green, named for the stiff, odd way he walked in his brilliant, beautiful green eyes. John was this little bulldog's best friend, and I truly do believe that dogs can feel feelings just as much, if not more, than us humans do. When John passed away, Stiffy Green was devastated. Although he was entrusted to very good friends of John's and would have been well cared for and very loved, Stiffy Green kept escaping his new owners to go lay by his old owner's crypt every day and every night. They'd come back to get him and he'd just find a new way to escape. Stiffy Green was determined to be reunited with John. His new family finally gave up and just let him have his way. The caretakers at the cemetery tried to offer the little dog food and water, but he had no interest in water, but he had no interest. He just refused and just patiently sat by the entrance of his owner's tomb. Within a few short weeks, Stiffy Green passed away as well. One night, a cemetery worker was leaving and heard the barks of a dog coming from the direction of the mausoleum, but it couldn't be. Stiffy Green had passed away. He went back to the mausoleum to take a look around anyway and saw nothing. When he turned to walk away, he saw an apparition of an old man smoking a pipe walking beside a stiff-legged bulldog with a wagging happy tail and glowing green eyes. Since the 1920s, many residents and visitors of Terre Haute have reported seeing the two happily strolling together in their afterlife. That story always makes me so happy. Like, I grew up, my mom told me that story for the longest time as I can remember when I was a kid. Like, I love Stiffy Green. I thought bulldogs were great. Like, <laughs> I just, I love that story. And I really hope Oakley comes back if I die before Oakley, probably not likely, but I hope we spend our ghost lives together. <laughs> so my plan was to do a full episode on haunted cemeteries, but I already did that episode for Highly Spirited Podcast, and I didn't want an exact copy of the same episode because we're doing a crossover. I wanted to do some more original content. So after telling the Stiffy Green story, I went down a rabbit hole of dog ghost, ghost dogs, whatever you want to call them. And they do take place in locations other than Indiana. And that's what I will be finishing this episode with instead of more cemeteries. Although one of the spirits of one of these upcoming dogs does hang out near a cemetery. And that dog is known as the Demon Dog of Valley Cruces in North Carolina. Right on the outskirts of town is an old stone church with its own graveyard off of Highway 194. When driving by late at night, it's said that a demon dog with glowing eyes leaps out from behind one of the old headstones and chases cars down the road. Like, even in the afterlife, dogs like to chase cars. One story goes, two friends were driving by late at night under the full moon, because of course it's a full moon, isn't it always? As they passed by the church, a dark figure emerged from the graveyard in front of their car and the driver slammed on his brakes and swerved to miss whatever it was. As he pulled off to the side of the road, he turned to look out the rear view window and saw that it was a dog, but it just wasn't a normal dog. This thing was humongous. It was tall, it was wide, and you know what? Like, I'm just gonna go on a limb and assume that it looked like an English Mastiff because my 18-month-old is huge and probably scary to people that don't know him because he's just a baby. But <laughs> anyways, besides the size, this thing he saw had black fur that was bristled up, yellow teeth, and glowing red eyes. Not glowing in the way that like a dog's eyes will reflect light, like in a picture like for a flash, but glowing red as if it were their real color. Terrified by what he saw, the driver hit the gas and took off, but the demon dog chased them down the road, keeping up with the speeding car and with seemingly no effort. Now is probably a good time to mention that Valley Cruces means Valley of the Cross, and it was named for two streams that meet right in the middle of the valley, forming a cross. The dog was about to bite down on the back bumper because he had caught up with them, but they crossed the bridge over the streams. The dog did not. The dog stood still on that same side of the bridge. He would not cross or could not cross. 
and then retreated back down the road to where he came from. So there's a lot to be said that water is kind of a barrier for spirits. I do think that sometimes they can't cross a river or can't cross a moving water for certain reasons. So that's very interesting to me. Legends of black dogs being bad omens or hellhounds or an incarnation of the devil himself have been around for centuries, especially in English folklore. But I found one out of Connecticut who was known as the black dog of West Peak. Near Meriden, Connecticut is one of the highest points on the East Coast within 25 miles to the shoreline and it's known as the Hanging Hills in Hubbard Park. Castle Craig on East Peak draws in thousands of visitors a year for the views, but on West Peak is the spirit of a black dog that might just keep visitors away. Sightings of this dog have been reported since the 1800s. This dog is said to be small to medium build and looks similar to a spaniel, which surprises me because I expect most black dogs in these types of stories to be bigger and look like German Shepherds, and don't ask me why, that's just how my brain stereotype them. <laughs> Anyways, this little phantom spaniel is not all bad news. It's said in the area, if a man shall meet the black dog once, it shall be for joy. And if twice, it shall be for sorrow. And the third time, he shall die. So to be safe, I'd probably just like visit once and never return. But I mean, if you keep visiting, you're kind of just asking for it at that point, because I think it's possible that this dog isn't particularly evil, but more of a warning. The terrain in this area is quite rough with elevation changes and deep gorges. So even for experienced hikers, it can be very challenging. So I think the little black dog is just there to warn you, like don't proceed, go on a different trail, change your path. But people, people don't think like that. <laughs> it's like once for joy, like you're just gonna meet a little ghost dog, pet it on its head and have a good day. If for twice, it's probably trying to tell you something. It's for sorrow. It's like, hey, don't go down this path, choose a different one. And by the third time, he's like, dude, I fucking tried to tell you twice. Like, if you're gonna fall off a cliff, have at it. Like, reports of this dog have been reported since the 1800s and up until around the 1970s when somebody did die, apparently, after telling a friend he saw this dog. So a friendlier ghost dog is still residing in the Holly Hotel in Holly, Michigan. This place is said to be loaded with spirits, and it should be. It was built in 1891. This place has seen a share of history, changes, and tragedy. Two separate fires almost wiped it out, and it's always been rebuilt. The owner, Mr. Hurst, is said to still haunt the premises and smell of cigar smoke when he's near, but we're not talking about him today. Although I may do a full episode on this place later because there's plenty to cover here. But today we're here for Leona, Hurst's beloved rat terrier. Leona is said to still be heard running up and down the hotel hallways. And being a little dog, I imagine she sounds a lot like Tippy Tappy Paws, which sounds like my dog Oakley when he runs up and down our wood floors. <laughs> so I just imagine her tipping tapping down the hallways. The chefs that start early in the morning report hearing small barks but never see any physical dog to be responsible for the barking. And several guests report feeling a small dog brush against their legs when walking the hallways. All right, that is all I have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed these and I just appreciate Alan and Kim wanting to do this crossover. I've had a lot of fun doing it. I hope you guys enjoyed as well. But in the meantime, Go check out Highly Spirited Podcast. I do a new episode every Friday and just give us a follow on Instagram too. Cheers, guys. This is Alan Bishop, head alchemist of Spirits of French Lick and host of If You Have Ghosts, you have everything. With fall just around the corner and the crisp air begging for bonfires, friends, and ghost stories, be sure to pick up a bottle of our Bottled and Bond Solomon Scott Rye Whiskey. Made from a unique mash bill of 60% rye, 35% corn, and 5% victory malts, we double pot distill this rye for retention and concentration of flavor. Always non-chill filtered and matured in full-size 53-gallon New American Oak, number two char, medium toast barrels, a full five years. Named after the legendary proprietor of the Daisy Spring Mill Distillery in Lawrence County, Indiana. Remember, respect the grain and always drink responsibly. Welcome back to If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything with your host, Alan Bishop, the alchemist of the Black Forest. 
So I've made a little bit of a point and a priority lately to start carrying around the field recorder with me, the uh, the little Tascam recorder that I did the recent episode of Field Recordings with. Just in case I come across a story or get a whim to do something interesting or contextual, right? Or to ask people about their cryptid, 14, high strangeness, paranormal stories. At some point, people are going to get tired of it, right? I mean, my friends can only put up with so many of my shenanigans. But this past Saturday, September the 24th, we actually went up and we visited the... uh, We were going to go up and go to the ghost walk that we talked about with Jeremy Elliott on his episode at the Crown Hill Cemetery. So we took a whole group of us. We took Kim's family. We took, of course, Penny Marie. Uh, we also invited my best friend in the world, DJ Henderson, and his girlfriend, Anita, along, as well as his daughter, um, and then our friends, Brad and Mary. So Brad and Mary are, are new to Washington County. They're originally you know, coming in from Harrison County, uh, Indiana, and they have a lot of really cool experiences, especially based around Waverly. So... We brought them in uh, to go do the ghost walk with us, and I thought, what a great time to get a little short story from Brad and Mary. We are going to do a full episode with them here very, very soon as well, if we haven't by the time that this comes out. But I thought, hey, you know what? We've got about an hour and a half before we have to go to the cemetery walk. We decided to stop at the park right down the road from the cemetery. This park is called Riley's Place. It's a a children's park, right, with um, all the playground equipment and all that stuff. But it also was the original cemetery in Salem, Indiana, before they moved the bodies up to the new cemetery at Crown Hill. So atmospherically speaking, it made a lot of sense to sit down with Brad and Mary and do this story there. I hope you guys enjoy it, and I'll catch you in the next segment. Love you. So we're doing a little field recording before the the cemetery walk here in Salem, Indiana at Crown Hill Cemetery. And we're actually sitting at uh, Riley's Place, which was originally the town cemetery. Uh, before they basically ran out of capacity and started moving bodies up to the main cemetery. Now, this is also the site where the uh, the last bear in Washington County was killed as it was digging up a grave in the early 1820s. Um, so Brad has got, and his wife Mary, have got a lot of uh, a lot of paranormal stories, and at some point we're going to do a full episode with them of if you have ghosts, you have everything. But today I figured I'd get one or two field recordings of Brad and maybe some of our other friends uh, for a short episode of if you have ghosts, you have everything. So, Brad, I'll let you introduce yourself and talk about who you are and well, go I'm right into it. Brad Lewinberger and live in Pekin, Indiana. I've been doing uh, paranormal investigation for right at 20 years. Kind of haven't really done a whole lot in the last five to seven years. Uh, I've had some other things going on, but yep. So we'll we'll just do a real quick short one, real quick, and it's about Waverly Hills, which I have a bunch for Waverly Hills. <clears throat> um, so we work in the in the haunted house up there. On top of some other things, I'm a vol- just a volunteer tour guide, a uh, little bit of everything up at Waverly. So uh, we're there in the haunted house. It's been what three years ago or so, Mary, four years ago maybe. And uh, I was a witch doctor in the voodoo room. I had a man door that the actors come in and out of in my room there. And it was on the first floor of Waverly. So the weekend before, a buddy Vince was in the room next to me and he was a frog man in some jungle or something. <laughs> and the whole night he is cussing and hollering at this person. And I, you know, I'd stick my head and say, man, you all right? You need help? You know, is it? just a drunk guest or something. He's like, no, this uh, little bitch is over there and she won't leave me alone. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. He's like, dude, she's right there. And I'm like, I don't see anything. But there were strobe lights going. It was like- like Kind a, of sensory overload sort of it thing. It was, it was, yeah. ju- it was like a jungle theme. It had this swinging walk bridge they had built like over supposed to be water and like bushes everywhere and stuff. So we kind of ha 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 about it. And then, uh, so the next weekend, I'm sitting and I had like a throne and I was casting spells and had snakes and just aggravating people with it. Well, she was in my room that night in the corner. And we say she, we don't know this, but typically back in the Waverly days in the mid-1920s or so, guys usually didn't have long hair. We couldn't see her face, obviously, but it was a shadow, black shadow. She had long black hair kind of down over her eyes, and you could tell that she was in a hospital gown. She's sitting in the corner, and I'm just, have been a Waverly so many years that I just didn't, it doesn't spook me when yeah. I see stuff up there. Tina Mattingly comes in the room, comes down in the man door and comes down the steps. She's like, hey Brad, how's it going? I was like, ah, oh, it's going good. And she walked out in the hall, took two steps in the hall, 
took two steps back and said, how long has she been in the corner? I said, she's been there all night. She was in <laughs> Vince's room last weekend. And she's kind of like, huh, walks out. I mean, and she's, yeah. she was just, just part of there. It. And it wasn't residual. Yep. So she was just, yeah. lived, she lived there. Yeah, it's an active, active, active haunting. Yep. And uh, she didn't do anything, you know. A couple times she got up and walked, floated, whatever you want to call it. I'll say walk. Uh, out in the hall or into the adjoining room where Vince was. But, I mean, it was just kind of cool. And, you know, I was kind of talking to her a little bit, asking her, trying to get her to answer me. I had my phone out recording. I was, you know, I was like, so how long you been here? You know, and did you die here? And da dee da dee da I could never get anything out of her. But she definitely would move her head when you talked to her. She wanted you to know she was there, but she she wasn't she wasn't gonna give you anything more. Right, than that. right, right, yeah. right. So if I would have had probably a better recorder or K two meter or something like that. Right. Then I probably could have got something a little bit better. Could have picked up some of it. Yeah, know? but so we just kinda interacted with her and then I, the next three weekends, I never seen her again. Vince never seen her again, so I don't know if she had moved to a different part of the hospital or she might have been down in the room where Mary was at down there. At this point, I'm got you've been there, you know, multiple times at this point, so you were you're used to the happenings. Yes, and, and I think it's so. I I told you before, you know, in the past, me and a musician friend used to go there quite often when it was still not quite legal to go there. Same. So. Uh, but you do, you eventually, like, it's always interesting, but to some degree, like, the magic kind of gets to where you're like, yeah, I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> you you know? know, I'm not surprised by anything up at Waverly. We, uh, same as you, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, so I was back in up in the 80s right after the, it was a, uh, the mental institution, I think is what it was, the last thing it was. Yeah, like there. the geriatric institution. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think it closed in 80... 82 or 83 I think I may be wrong about that date I remember cutting school going up there and mm-hmm. you know I was in middle school still in, in ninth grade and stuff going up there and running the halls and drinking mad dog and right when it was still uh, in decent shape yeah letting the German shepherds chase or the Dobermans chase us and stuff like that but didn't have to worry about running around a corner and falling through a big hole <laughs> that's right so the first night I worked up there I wasn't accustomed to playing as an actor definitely wasn't accustomed to Waverly Hills you know the second you get up there you sense it I mean it's just this feeling you get so it's our first night and I'm I am a um, tuberculosis patient Hmm. so I'm already freaked out about you know why are you all dressing me up like this and I'm sitting on the edge of the bed waiting on another group of people to come in. And in the corner, I see what I think is like a four-foot shadow. And he's kind of bouncing around in the corner. I think the lights are playing tricks on me, and I don't say anything. I'm starting to get a little spooked. On the other side of the room, is um, there's two beds and a couch. And the couch is sitting against the wall, and a lady is in there. Um, she's a nurse. And she's sitting over on the couch, scrolling on her phone. So I kind of get up, don't say anything, and I go sit down beside her because I'm spooked. You know, I yeah. know I see what I'm seeing, but lights are playing tricks. They have yeah, to you, don't, you don't want to. Right, that you're it's not there. So right. I just get up, go sit down beside her, and continue to stare into this corner and I still see a fuzzy little black shadow and like he's literally dancing around and against the walls and stuff and after sitting there for just a few minutes she leans over to me and she says it's okay he ain't gonna hurt you he's been there all night like get (laughs) me out of this room (laughs) it scared the kajibis out of me right yeah, the death tunnel, though, that is, um, we was at Waverly two or three years, and you get accustomed, you know. Yeah, you get used to it. It's yeah, it. you're kind of excited going in, you know, what am I going to see tonight? What's going to happen? It never was scary. Um, kind of felt honored to be there around them, mm-hmm. but that death tunnel, twice we went there, and I can't. I get near it and I physically get 
sick. Get sick. Something kind of overtakes me. My stomach hurts really bad. Mm-hmm. I get a very heavy, unwanted feeling in there. So I stay away from that place. That's I've never felt that before, and it's it scared me. You know, and I would suspect, and I don't <clears throat> I don't know this to be true of Waverly, because um, I honestly haven't done as much history on it as what I should. <clears throat> Not growing up down there, but growing up here, but. You know, most of the old county farms and asylums and stuff up here, too, uh, a lot of people were mistreated and mishandled in those county asylums, those county right. farms. And they, especially the one here in Washington County, has that feeling. And even the cemetery, you know, people are already gone, whatever. But that cemetery, if you ever go out there, there's only two or three stones left. But if you go out there in the springtime in particular, you can look. You know, most graves here are facing the west, right? You, Jesus coming back and that whole thing, right? Or the east, sorry, not the west. West to east. So, out there, there are graves that are just wherever they can put them. I mean, it looks like a game of Tetris. And we have the list of graves that are supposed to be there. There's a lot more graves there than what we have a list. Kind of like what you just said about patients being mistreated. I mean, it's on record what they've done to the patients of Waverly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, because it was all experimental, because there wasn't a cure for TB then. Yeah. So they would, like, put balloons in their chest and uh, electric electric shock treatment. Yep. And the room where the electric shock treatment room is is still there on the second floor. Don't have any of the electric shock stuff in it, but it's still, still if, you know, if you know... Waverly, and I know Waverly pretty good. I mean, that room's really heavy. And like you said, we'll get into uh, a longer yeah. fun. Um, I've got some really cool, and I wish I could find them, EVPs and stuff from up there, from talking to doctors and yeah. talking to patients, and they will answer you back. Like in a, exper- and I don't know what it is, when it's cold and crisp outside, that's they seem to manifest themselves more. But literally, we have talked to patients, and they will answer you back. Either their voice, or they'll light up a K2 meter. Right. <clears throat> um, Some way of letting you know cameras, that they're there. Drain your cameras, flashlight. We can go up there and have full batteries on your phones, mm-hmm. cameras, EP recorders, K2 meters. Yeah. And they will just instantly... Because they're suck. I guess they're sucking the energy. Energy, yeah. Well, I have a theory on that with the, the cold weather, too, because that's kind of the same thing that we have. It's always the same thing with the farm and the same thing with the distillery thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of static electricity that builds up in the wintertime, for one thing. And I think that that's right. a good portion of it. And it's also the darker part of the year. You know, they're able to get energy from wherever they get it from, one way or the other. But, uh, yeah, I plan on eventually doing a whole Waverly episode. So, because I've got... I don't know, at least five or six stories I can think of. And there's probably more of them that I've forgotten because that's been the thing with doing the show. Like, people bring up stuff to me like, you remember when this happened? I didn't until you just said it, but now I do. So, But, uh, yeah, we're going to get you guys on for a full episode, too, sometime um, here shortly. Get you over at the house, and I'll have to figure out how to uh, run the microphones out to the living room. We'll figure it out. I've seen some kind of weird stuff out in the world. Right. You know, stuff I don't care to ever see again. Hey guys, what is up? I'm Stephanie McNew from the Highly Spirited Podcast, and I am back again today with some haunted houses for you. Most are from around Henry and Hancock County, where I've lived and currently lived. One is out of Indianapolis. Let's go ahead and get into them. First up, I have the Pest House out of Knightstown, Indiana. Knightstown, Indiana is a small town along US 40 in Henry County. I personally have always found Knightstown to be super cute with its little antique shops, small businesses, and they have like two bakeries. It's weird for a small town, <laughs> um, but it's just adorable. It's, it's also home to the gym where the movie Hoosiers was filmed, and it's also home to the Indiana Soldiers and Sailors Home, which I think now has a different name because it's ran by the Indiana National Guard. It's always seemed like a boarding school for troubled kids or like orphan kids. 
but growing up a few towns over in Henry County, a place scarier than the children's home to local kids was the pest house. And let me see, the children's home, like if you were bad, your parents are like, I'm just gonna ship you there. <laughs> so the pest house looks much scarier though, and it's actually very close to this place. The pest house is a large home built in the French Empire revival style, and it's mainly a three-story house, but it has a tower making it four stories and it boasts 17 rooms and was built sometime between 1867 and 1870. It sits atop a hill back from the road and it just looks foreboding. Like it's on this big tall hill. It's this huge tall house. Like when you're a kid, you're just like, yes, that's absolutely haunted. It just looks like an Adams Family house situation. In 1902, there was a smallpox outbreak. The Board of Health closed down Knightstown for 10 weeks, posting National Guardsmen at each end of town, not allowing people in or out helping to quarantine people to their homes. Can you imagine if they really did that to us in 2020? Like people would have lost their damn minds. <laughs> Despite their efforts, the disease still spread. So the town purchased this house, which was just sitting empty for a mere $2,500. And it quarantined the very sick people there. Nurses and doctors on staff stayed in a structure behind the house while they were working. And they had like this little boarding house situation back there. The home became known as the pest house short for pestilence, which means a fatal epidemic. After the smallpox epidemic, the house stayed vacant for a while as no one wanted to live in a home that housed the diseased. The vacancy added to the tales of the house being haunted. Current owners do not believe the house is haunted and have put a lot of love and work into restoring it to its original beauty. The creepiest thing I've read that they've experienced is a portrait they wanted to move from a specific wall. When they mentioned moving it, the corners of the portrait started to drip. They decided against moving the portrait and never had any other issues with it. Before the current owners, others have reported seeing a lady in black in the house. Another has claimed that when he went to visit the house, an odd woman dressed in black opened the door, told him no one was home and shut the door in his face before he could even ask any questions. <laughs> so, you know, I think maybe the current owners, I don't actually know them, but they might be in like a little bit of denial. Just, you know, if you don't want to be open to haunts in your house, that's fine. But I think there was probably just all the death and trauma that happened there. there it's it's got to be haunted. I fully believe it's haunted. Next up, I have Thornhaven in Spiceland, Indiana, another supposedly haunted house in Henry County. It's located right outside of Spiceland. It actually has a Newcastle address and it's known as Thornhaven Manor. It was built in 1845 by Simon T. Powell, who was married to Elizabeth Thornburg in 1842 lending to the name Thornhaven. The house is about 6,000 square feet with four staircases, four chimneys, and seven doors that lead to the outside. It sounds a little bit like the Winchester house, but not quite as insane. <laughs> the outside is a bit overgrown, but it's still a hauntingly beautiful structure. Like this house is absolutely gorgeous when you drive by. The house is currently not lived in as it needs a lot of repairs and does not have electricity run to it. But the current owner used to allow par paranormal teams to do investigations but that's been a couple of years. From previous reports, the living room seems to have the most activity, as well as the main staircase that leads to the second story. The activity doesn't seem to be negative or angry, but has been described as childlike frustration when the spirits want to be left alone. They just don't freaking want people in there bothering them. It's their house now. Some people have been scratched when the spirits were ready for them to leave. Freaking leave the house, go. <laughs> as much as I think Zach Baggins is a total douchebag. He and his Ghost Adventures crew visited this house for an investigation, and that was major attention for this little tiny small town. So it was cool that they came here, and that investigation was season seven, episode 12, and they did find some things. Um, Thornhaven was a big deal, like I think seven to 10 years ago, everybody in Henry County was like, oh, we gotta go check out Thornhaven, because they were letting people do tours. I think it's just, the flooring and stuff needs replaced, so it got very unsafe for people. Like, physically unsafe. The ghosts weren't really gonna hurt you. They're just gonna scratch you when they're tired of your shit, but they didn't want people, like, you know, falling through and having a liability. Another one from Henry County that I was going to talk about was the Mount Lawn Mansion, but I couldn't find a lot online about it, and it was in a book called Haunted Henry County, which just said, like, hey, the dude built the house. They died. He now haunts the house. So, like, your pretty basic haunting of, like, slamming doors and apparitions and cold spots, there wasn't a lot to talk about with that. But I didn't realize Mount Lawn was a big deal back in the day because now it's just, like, a tiny place. to. It's a racetrack. Like, you, if you're from Indiana, you've probably heard of Mount Lawn Raceway or Racetrack. 
speedway, whatever they're calling it. <laughs> um, I just thought people went racing there on their little stock cars. But you apparently there used to be a resort there, like with cabins and stuff, where legit race car drivers would come in and stay for the weekend, race weekend. There was a couple of ponds and lakes, and there used to be a dance hall that actually built, burnt down twice, and then they never rebuilt it. And then the guy that owned everything built his mansion there. And apparently he's still hanging around. That's all I could really find on that. So not a lot of detail and I apologize, but that's also in Henry County. Next up, I have the Hannah House, which is sort of Southeast of downtown Indianapolis. So the, Han the Hannah House is a very well-known Indianapolis haunt and it's listed as a historic landmark. And hopefully it's not confused with the jump scare attraction known as Hannah Haunted Acres. So every September and October, there's like a quote unquote haunted house where the actors jump out at you. It's called Hannah Haunted Acres, but it's spelled different, just H-A-N-N-A -N -N -A without the H at the end. And then Hannah House is the way we would normally spell Hannah. So the Hannah House is a mansion built in 1858 on Madison Avenue by businessman and legislator Alexander Hannah. He was married to Elizabeth, and although they had hoped for a large family, their only child, a daughter, was stillborn. And some people think that led to part of the haunting of the house, like the upstairs bedrooms, like they just get weird baby ghost vibes, I guess. Ale Alexander Hanna was heavily involved in the Underground Railroad and helped hide runaway slaves in the basement of his 24-room mansion. Legend has it that one evening, while a group of slaves were hiding out at the basement, waiting to make their next move, one accidentally knocked over an oil lantern, catching the entire basement on fire. All the escaped slaves perished in the flames. As one could not really report these deaths without incrimination of themselves, Hannah just decided to have these bodies buried beneath the dirt floor of the basement instead of carrying them out for proper burials. Which, it sounds very shitty, but he was so dedicated to the Underground Railroad, if he would have reported this, like, he couldn't have helped more people in the future. So I get why he acted the way he did and did the things he did. It still doesn't sound great because I think everybody deserves a proper burial or to be disposed of in the way they want to be, but... You know, he did what he had to do, I guess. This is where tales of the Hannah house being haunted began. Many believe it's the slaves haunting the home, from spotting apparitions to hearing disembodied whispers, and even certain rooms smelling of death at times. This haunt has it all, including cold spots and doors seemingly opening all on their own. When the Hannahs passed away, the house sat empty for four years as they had no children to pass it down to, until it was purchased by Roman Oler, who resided there and made some architectural changes to the front porch before passing it down to his daughter, who resided there with her husband until 1962. The house had sat empty for three decades, slightly decaying and embodying a haunted house appearance until the early 90s when the O'Brien family purchased it and ran their antique business out of the downstairs. That's when the reports of the hauntings became better known, with more reports of cold spots, pictures flying off the walls, doors slamming, and unexplained voices. The Hannah House now operates as a venue that hosts weddings, events, even sometimes allows psychics and paranormal investigators to come in and check it out, and some have reported seeing who they believe to be Alexander Hannah just running, roaming around the grounds himself. So this one's really interesting. They had an event August 13th. It was like a psychic event, a paranormal event they had. I didn't get to make it there because I think we went to a Reds game or something. But I definitely want to go check this place out because I feel like there's probably a lot of energy there and just historically it's going to be cool to see. But I definitely believe that's one that's haunted for sure. Hey guys, Alan Bishop back, the alchemist of Indiana's Black Forest, here with a very special offer for those of you who might be interested in producing your own spirits. So if you've been trying to learn what it takes to start making your own amazing spirits at home, but Google and YouTube just leave you with more questions, does it feel like you don't even know where to start? Well, my buddy Cyrus Mason of Still in the Clear has got you covered with a brand new program he calls the Moonshiners Academy. Moonshiners Academy courses are designed to take you from start to finish in an organized process that guarantees success. Learn quickly and effectively with their progressive step-by-step -step methods. The very first Moonshiners Academy course has been launched. Become a Moonshiner and make your first batch of shine today by checking out www.moonshinersacademy.com. 
tailored to the first-time shiner, starting with Module 1, choosing the right equipment, and moving you step-by-step step to the final module, blending and proofing your final spirit. A mix of video and audio lessons combined with downloadable worksheets, cheat sheets, and distiller's notes is why Moonshiners Academy courses guarantee your success. Their only one email guarantee is a 100% money-back refund that requires you to just send them an email saying you want your money back. They'll happily and promptly refund your full purchase price, plus your next course is on them. Make sure you go to moonshinersacademy.com today and sign up for the first course. If you use the special code ALAN20, A-L-A-N, all capital letters, 20, you'll get a 20% discount exclusive to listeners of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything, Distillers Talk, as well as viewers of the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute channel on YouTube. Check it out, guys. You won't regret it. Got another quick one about Spring Mill. So we're doing the, uh, Christmas in the Village up there. And uh, no, this was Thanksgiving. We uh, just decided we was gonna do Thanksgiving up there. We, we cooked our Thanksgiving dinner. The fireplace was in the lower residence. Up there, the one that's right, right next to the mill. So we had heard that there is, that one had burnt down. And the original foundation and stuff was still there and they kind of rebuilt it. Right, rebuilt uh, off that base. Rebuilt off that base. So we had heard that we know that the schoolhouse is haunted up there or has paranormal activity in and it. And I heard that recently, the thing about uh, they use it as a hospital sometimes. And they did. Stuff. Yep, yeah, yep, it was a hospital and stuff. So some one of the workers was telling us that there's a, a, a female that lives in the, in the lower residence and she doesn't like men. Mm -hmm. Doesn't like men to raise her voice or anything. So there's a... You may have seen this. Have you seen the hair wreath no. that's hanging? <laughs> so when you go into the lower residence, there's the f their first li like living room area. Then the kitchen's off to the side right here, where uh, your buddy was at 59, old 59 oh, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So right here's where he was. Mm -hmm. Right here's this room. There's a fireplace there, and there's a wreath up there, and it's made of human hair. Okay. And it's an original wreath for the property. <clears throat> so... We're just up there doing Thanksgiving dinner and stuff and we was there was about six or seven of us staying in that in the lower residence. Well our friends Beth and Andy, which we do Civil War reenactments with, Andy and Beth got to messing around something and Andy raised his voice at Beth just joking around and everything on that mantle swept off into the floor. Oh wow. There's no heavy drafts. There's no reasoning yeah. at all. And that's where the hair... Uh, that's where the wreath's at. The, yeah. wreath, the wreath is. Now, does that wreath have anything to do with anything up there? I don't know. But, yeah, that was one, just one of the experiences we had. Well, and just to be clear, having a wreath made out of human hair is pretty... <laughs> creepy. Pretty weird in general. Well, when so. you go back, so when you go in where old 59 was, if you turn right and go back down where the... The kids' room was the, the cribs and stuff. You go to the very back, and that's the room me and Mary stay in. Because when we go up there, we like, stay. we stay in the cabin. We yeah. sleep in the rope beds and everything. There is a picture, original picture, hanging on the wall, a painting of one of the hammers. I don't know which one it is. And this isn't really nothing paranormal, but it's just weird. Because no matter where you're at in the room, he's looking at you. Right. This. And when the lights go off and the candles and stuff, lanterns get blown out. I swear to God, Alan, there's blood coming out of his eyes. Is it the is it the picture of Hugh Hamer as an old man? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that one's a creepy picture. Yes. Yes. And uh, now, I think it's a figment of your imagination because right. your mind tends to run a little. But and it's a very shadowed portrait as yes. well. There's a lot of a lot of uh, context to that. It almost it almost looks it almost doesn't look real. You right. know what I mean? So, right. yeah. So interesting. Yep. There's some uh, some other stuff up there that we'll get into on a maybe a little bit longer. Uh, oh yeah. Stuff. There's uh, we haven't had a whole lot of experiences up there though. And I'm ha I'm having a hard time. I, I was surprised. I asked several people, and I'm not getting a whole lot. But you know, there's nothing to me. There's not a whole lot there that feels like there should be anything there. You know what right. I mean? I think pretty much everybody that was ever part of that, as far as being a part of the businesses, etc. 
it feels to me like it was fairly well fulfilled. Yeah. You know what I mean? There wasn't a whole lot of, I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done that. Right. The people that were a part of it, they got their use out of it and they went about their day. Yeah, and there wasn't really any murders or, or tragic deaths there that I'm aware of. Right. Um, so it's just not really a whole lot. It's just mm-hmm. some creepy, just, it's, it's kind of creepy at night walking through there. Like when the village is closed, right. it's just like us staying in a cabin. Yeah, and then walking like to the bathrooms or wherever, and then one night we was up there at another Thanksgiving. We've done two or three Thanksgivings up there just for shits and giggles. Yeah, ain't nothing wrong with that. I mean, we'll do our normal Thanksgiving, then we'll all pack up and go spend two or three nights there. It snowed one night while we were there, and we woke up (laughs) in the middle of the night, and it was snowing, and the the lights that are up there, you can see the snowflakes. And it was magical. That was magical, yeah. seeing that. But I had to go to the bathroom, and it wasn't a step out the back door and pee bathroom. Right. <laughs> so I had to go over to the to the back. We had keys to the bathroom. And uh, walking past the mill, across the bridge, and I just kept looking over my shoulder like... Yeah. And then walking in between the leather shop and the woods right there to get to the bathroom right. was just like something is just... You know, it's, 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 what's interesting too, I hadn't thought about with Spring Mill, and this is, I don't know how much this bears on anything, because Henderson Park has definitely got something weird going on, in my opinion. But if you think about the way that Spring Mill is laid out and all the running water sources, and you go back to some of the old Eastern European lore that spirits can't cross running water. So if you think about it, the mill, those lower residences, et cetera, they're basically kind of protected, anyways. Right. So, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So. Yeah, it's, that's one we can definitely get into. But uh, before before we close this one out, Brad, I know you got, uh, if you don't mind to mention it, you got something cool coming up that you're going to be a part of here shortly where you be on TV, right? Yep, I do a uh, little distilling. So I've been picked to be on Master Distillers. Uh, my episode is going to air, or not air, I'll film right around the November, November 1st in that two-week block there. So I'm pretty excited about that. We're going to see how... Uh, how things turn out if nothing else i'm gonna get a little exposure and use it for something to the good um but yeah i'm i'm super excited about well we're we're excited for you and it's gonna be it's gonna be an exciting season this year too because it's you're on there kelly tenille is back on there Hey guys, this is Alan Bishop over at Distillers Talk and the One Piece at a Time Distilling Institute on YouTube. Are you interested in learning or expanding upon the ancient art of distilling? Whether it's for spirits, essential oil, or tinctures, our friends over at 13 Stills have you covered. With hand-built copper stills made to last, Jason at 13 Stills has the setups you need to produce high-quality product. From two gallons to 200 gallons are ready to roll prohibition sets, complete with tricloves and thump barrels with fruit ports. Give 13 Stills a call today at 1 502 424 5283. Tell them that Alan Bishop sent you on over. So my dad, Dale Bishop, is here to share a story from when he was younger, uh, living in the house that Kim and Penny and I now live in with his mom and dad, my grandparents, Doris and Alfred Bishop, uh, about something they saw in the sky one night. So tell us all about it. Okay. It probably died, say, 76, 77. Because I think it's before dad got his arm hurt for us when this happened. How, How old were you? Well, I was probably 16. I had my driver's license. This had got him, so. And uh, home one night, my mom's the one first seen it. She was looking at the front door or something, and uh, opened up the front door, and it was big, red, orange ball up in the sky above the tree line. And it was, let's say, red, orange looking. Looked kind of like the moon. I mean, it was as big as the moon, you know, if the moon was really close, big full moon. 
but it had markings around like it's around the center of it. it had like a grayish white stripe around the center of it with yellow markings on it and uh, kind of a grayish looking writing or symbols on it, like a Z and a kind of triangle maybe a Z but it was like a light blue hint around the outside of them something like that anyway my dad seen it and I seen it and uh, called a couple of neighbors to see if they could see it and uh, called a guy who used to work up station Roger Newland and uh, he come out and looked but where he was at he said he could kind of see a glimmer of something red but he couldn't tell what it was because the tree line was kind of blocking him out and people drive up down the highway they was they was slowing down looking at too well it probably stayed there a good hour maybe hour and a half it just up in the sky there and I can't really tell that it was that close to us or how far away it was it's kind of hard to tell I don't really think it was as close to us as it looked it was just so big that it took up the, the sky there but it stayed there a good hour maybe hour and a half and uh, then it just slowly started drifting off and then it got smaller and smaller and smaller and it just disappeared so you don't you don't think it was up at real high altitude or anything it was just no kinda... it was just above the tree line it looked like maybe 10 or 20 foot above the tree line mm -hmm. i know you, you mentioned before that uh, it reminded you of like when you see the balloon glow for the the derby like the way the balloons kind of look yeah that, i've seen balloons that kind of gave that appearance but they're not completely round like it was right this was completely round and it, it did look... no sound or nothing with it you couldn't hear anything and it looked solid yeah it looked solid it's it, Looked kind of like the moon, really. It was just right. bigger. Yeah, and and did it have and the any, moon was off to the right side of it? So did it have any kind of markings or anything on it, or uh, like I said, it had like some kind of insignia in, in the middle of it. There it looked like X's and maybe a Z and kind of a triangle, and it was kind of highlighted in a little bit of a blue look in it. Right, and did it look like that part of it was lit up as well, or was that just a little bit? It was lit up too. I mean, it All was white it was. looking or grayish looking. Right. So, it, but people people on the highway saw it and they stopped and watched it. Yeah, they slowed down, and looked up at it. I mean, they'd almost stop. They wouldn't completely stop. But how long? How long do you think it was there for? It was there a good hour, maybe an hour and a half. And when I mean, it, time it drifted off. Yeah. got away from everything and so it just kind of it kind of slowly moved off and it yeah. seemed like it stayed at the same altitude or yeah, it just, like just, it just slowly went out of the, out of sight well it's interesting for for grandma to have been the one that pointed out uh, because mamma and papa were both baptists i think mamma probably more than papa was is my guess but um you know for her to even acknowledge that there's something kind of weird like that is pretty interesting but i'm curious what grandpa's reaction to it was because he had worked as a it was Tech Five and, and, and uh, World War Two, uh, and on the islands, and so he was familiar with all kinds of aircraft. So I'm kind of curious what his reaction was. He didn't really have that much reaction. He got up and looked at it and kind of went, huh, and just went back, sat down like it was like wasn't it no big deal <laughs> to him, you know? Was, right, right. I mean, me and Mom was kind of running over like our heads are cut off, and he yeah. just kind of sat down and started watching the news again. Did you ever hear from anybody else who saw it? Not really. I mean, I never really heard nothing else. I mean, listened for days. I've talked to several people and stuff. Nobody, nobody else had really seen it. Right, and there wasn't anything in the newspaper or anything no. like that at the time. So there was nothing about it. So yeah, just kind of an odd occurrence. It was weird. And like I say, it was just about wintertime. It was cool outside. I mean, the leaves were down, gone, and everything. So. It was either late November or early December when it happened. Right, and it was probably probably not very high humidity. If there weren't any clouds, you probably the stars were probably pretty clear. Yeah, the so stars you, you could see, see the stars. It was a clear night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the moon, you could see the moon clear. So I know I asked you about altitude wall go altitude wall go, but how high up above the trees do you think it probably was? Maybe. Maybe twenty foot, maybe if it right. was that high. Right, right there, and pretty good size. I mean, field of vision wise, I know it's oh, hard yeah, to tell. It, was, but... it, it looked huge to me. Right, looked like well, you said you mistook it. You could have easily it, it mistook could have been it for the moon. The moon. That's how right. big it was. A full right. moon. You know how big they can be. Yeah, yeah, like, a, like almost like a super moon. Yeah, so, had to have been pretty good size. Interesting. Anything else that you remember about that you want to say? Or that's about it. It was just kind of weird, and it's funny. You know, never seen it again or heard anybody else say anything about it right well we've uh 
uh, we might as well throw this in there while we're here because I've had everybody else on to talk about their haunted distillery experiences. So I'll let you tell people a little bit about the ones that you've had here at Spirits of French Lake. Uh, I've had some weird ones. I mean, nothing bad or anything, but I mean, night stuff staying. Even during the day when people's here, it's happened. The computer screen we got there with controls of the stills and stuff. Yeah. Be standing in front of it, doing something, and just kind of glaring. I actually think somebody's standing there behind me, or you see a reflection of somebody behind you. Right, but there's nobody there. Yeah. Or yeah. you feel like somebody's standing there looking over your shoulder, you know, just like you're almost touching, just looking over your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And the reflection I've seen, to me, kind of looks like an old man. Right. And it's kind of whitish looking, and he's just standing back there looking at what I'm doing. But any any details to the reflection, or is it just kind of kind of you know there? It's there. I mean, it kind of looks like maybe he's got a beard. He's not real long hair, but I mean, maybe kind of curly, scruffy looking hair. Sure, you're not just seeing yourself because it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like you just seeing hey, yourself. It kind of does, but I mean, it don't. I mean, he looks like he's a thinner guy. He looks like he's really thin. He's not heavy set or anything. Right. Yeah. 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 So anything else that you had happen here, or? Um... I've heard some footsteps and doors closed and kind of wonder what it is, but I mean, I've never had anything bad as far as anything happen here. Most of mine's been there at that computer screen where right. I really feel like somebody's actually watching me or they're with me. What do you get, do you get weird feelings here at night if you're here by yourself? I can't say I do. I'm kind of always worried about what's going on. I'm kind of always watching. Right. You kind of feel like there could be somebody here with you, maybe. Yeah. Well, what about uh, what about? I think I, I may have I may have told them all already. But uh, what about? Is there anything I missed in the in the Bowman episode that you experienced at the Bowman house? Uh, there were several things went on in that house. It was a weird house. Yeah. Doors shutting behind me and. Doors opening up for me. Right. And when we first started going over, going in the study and walking that study, and as soon as I walk in the door, it, it slammed shut. Right. You know, like you didn't shut the door, <laughs> and it wouldn't be no wind or nothing blowing. It just shut, and you go back open it up, and it stay open then. <laughs> I hit some weird stuff went on over. I think the guy must like this. I guess only I can figure out. He. He figured out we wasn't there to destroy him and stuff, I no, think. We were, we were there to, to rebuild it is what we were there and for. I think he enjoyed He liked that. So. Yeah, I think so, too. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap this one up then, Dad. All righty. All right. Thank you. Hey, Metalheads. I'm Mark, and I host Metal Forge. Let me tell you about the show. The Metal Forge features the best underground metal from all over the world. We spend every week with a different artist with interviews, in-depth conversations, and most of all, the music. We also feature audience interactivity where you can submit your questions to the upcoming guests. New episodes are out every Friday at noon Eastern Time at MetalForgeRadio.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stone is carved the words Kill by the cold blooded murderer. They love Seth. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. Old Billy got exactly what he deserved. You see, he took and he married my girl, Samira Godfrey. That's right, he knowed I loved her. He knowed I was planning on marrying her for myself. The old dog just snuck right out from underneath. Shot him dead just like he deserved. A little while after that, I married Spear just like I did. You see, it was me that she loved the whole time. Well, everybody said that she was too good for me, that I was nothing but a low life and a scoundrel. That's exactly what old Johnny Halstead thought, too. But now he comes up looking at my place. Well, he should have known better. 
So shout him dead too. That time they come, they hauled me off to the jail box. There I sat, thinking about how those two boys, Johnny and Billy, got exactly what they deserved. It was me that was being wrong. Me that was treating like an animal. See, I never got no fair trial. So that's when the mob came. They stormed the building and they stole me out of that jailhouse. They put a rope around my neck. They strung me up from the old railroad bridge. And it's me they call the cold-blooded murderer! Oh, look an awful lot like that mama scoundrel that strung me up. Let's get on out of here before I shoot every last one of you. You hear me? I said get! Um, all right, everyone. 